It doesn't matter if you love crafts, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. Muckleshoot. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. Three sixteenths to go. Bridle up to the bar and Aquatinia arrival. These two square off with one furlong to go. It's all about the ride. Smiling goodbye. Third and fourth sluice. Tiz Wiz taking off on the outside. Deep stretch. Bridle up to the bar. Hazley close to home. Bridle up to the bar. Prevails. Horse racing northwest toward the latter end of July. Things heating up in northwest racing. A lot to talk about today among us guys. Joe Withy, Vince Baroon, and Bill Downs, fellas. Uh, we just heard bridle up to the bar's victory in the recent Budweiser stakes at Emerald Downs. He is back, and what a card we have for Sunday as uh, this podcast able to be heard on Friday afternoon, Friday evening. But Sunday is going to be a big day here at Emerald Downs, guys. Vince? Yeah, it sure is. Uh, the governor's stake is an outstanding field of 10. Uh, sluiced his whiz, reigning horse of the year in Washington and Emerald Downs horse of the meets start number two for him tries to even up the score with bridle of the bar but it's a lot deeper than that you can go uh 10 deep as as I said in that race and it looks pretty powerful fourth race is the Washington State Legislator Stakes Blazing Bella Blue always very tough to beat here at Emerald Downs but there's there's some competition in there with uh Slack tied to the Macho Girl back up, and we see Zip and Sevens back in the lineup. So it's a good race, and there's a tremendous race right before uh, the Governor's Stakes. Uh, yeah. 30,000 allowance optional claimer that came up really tough. So, uh, Bill, you're going to have some fun. Absolutely. The Washington State uh, Legislator's Stakes. I made, uh, I helped uh, Vince with the Morning Lion and made Blazing Bella Blue. Two to one morning line favorite, and she really impressed me coming off the shelf. On, and remember that weekend was very speed favoring. She made a wide, decisive move on the turn for the front end, got the lead, and slack tied uh, re engaged with Blazing Bella Blue. And they put on quite a stretch battle where Blazing Bella Blue uh, came out on top. Slack tied drawn nicely to the outside, might get to the front end in here, but uh, as Vince mentioned, tis a macho girl's back. Uh, in uh, the Pacific Northwest for Jeff Metz. You know, last race was a little bit over her head in graded stakes competition. And then she's not much of a turf horse. Uh, she's 0 for 7 on the turf. So all those turf races, I kind of threw lines through them. She's one going six and a half furlongs a couple times, including a really nice allowance optional claiming win and early May at Turf Paradise. So uh, just getting the trip is is going to be the key with her. And zipping sevens as we get longer and longer with the distances for the older fillies and mares, I think she's going to get better and better as well. So I thought that race was uh, awfully, awfully strong. And of course, the Budweiser is just yeah. absolutely loaded. I just can't wait for that race. Uh, just the move that Sluice Tiz Wiz made in that race. 
to 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 finish second. Just says he's ready to run a huge one, but uh, bridle up to the bar is no in these sprint races still top. And then Zestful and uh, Coastal Kid they finished uh, fourth and fifth respectively in the Budweiser, but they both had difficult trips uh, in, in those uh, in their in their last race, and especially Zestful coming off a little bit of a layoff. He's probably going to be my choice in the Budweiser hmm. Stakes. Uh, I was going back and forth with Sluice Tiz Wiz, but I think Sluice Tiz Wiz is going to get hammered in the wagering and bridle up to bar is going to be extremely uh, well supported as well. So I just thought the price is going to be too good to pass up on Zestful uh, for me and the governors, though uh, Sluice Tiz Wiz, a sentimental strong second choice for me uh, in that race. Okay, well, we're going to have some selections in our third segment. And yeah, Zestful, one of several horses moving very well through the stretch in the Budweiser as Bridal up to the bar had that clear lead at the eighth pole, sluiced his whiz uh, moving at the rate of knots and several others, including Zestful. So we'll get to our selections in the third segment. John White's going to join us on the show. John, a good friend of Washington Racing and Emerald Downs, of course. So many of you have heard him through the years as from his Southern California base. And John, of course, a native Washingtonian from Spokane. He'll join us, talk about a few different topics. Bill Traybold's going to join us as well, as we did have a passing from our our membership, our regulars at Emerald Downs, Manoj Parikh passed away a little more than a week ago. Uh, he was among the top players at the track in handle and certainly knowledge and uh, acumen. Uh, he really put it together, a really nice fellow, um, most likely a heart attack, uh, died at his place just a couple weeks ago. Billy Trable got to know him well over the years. We'll do that. But Sunday, we talked about a couple of the stakes. It's also Corgi Day at Emerald Downs. First race, 2 p.m. We're going to have eight qualifying Corgi heats. The defending champ got a bye, so the eight winners plus the defender is going wrong way. Uh, wrong way, Loki is the defending champ. So we'll have nine in the Corgi final, and it's going to be a big crowd. The Corgis, as our history knows, has really brought them out. Um Saturday, first race at 5 p.m. is ladies' night. Ladies get in free. They get a little chocolate, and there's going to be some prize drawings for the gals as well. We have food and beverage specials uh, all weekend long. Also, Vince, did you want to add something on that corgi thing? No. No? Uh, okay. Um, I know we'll get a crowd, but I uh, will talk about some weekly honors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we are there. Uh First race Friday at 7, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 2. And I just want one other promotion this weekend. Breakfast at the Wire starts on Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. I will be there. Dean Mazuka. Yeah, Dean's going to host. It's by the uh, Trackside Deli, the old spot, and there is a free breakfast. I think it's a breakfast burrito. So if you attend, uh, the gates will be open until 9 a.m. for admission to Breakfast at the Wire. The show goes from 8 to 10 a.m., so we're going to do it the next three Sundays, and the first one is this Sunday, Vince. Okay, yeah, from uh, last week's weekly honors, July 14th through 16th, the Valpac jockey, Kevin Radke, another stakes win for him, five wins overall. He had a great win on uh, Clovis Connection, uh, beating Lloyd's Logic, and maybe the race of the meet to date. Those two really hooked up from about uh, three-eighths home, and... 
uh, terrific race there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trainer of the week, Candy Kreiderman, went two for three. And owner of the week, uh, her main client, John Parker, uh, up to third all time in wins here at Emerald Downs, closing in on second. The Washington Bread, uh, WTBO Washington Bread, goes to She's a Kraken. Nice debut win there uh, by daylight. Rick and Debbie Paps, the breeder, and the quarter shoot cafe groom is. Uh, Hector Cardenas, he works for Dan Markle. He's had three wins at the meet. One of the horses he grooms, uh, Mar de, how do we say it? Arma de Oro? Arma Doro. Will be in that allowance race we talked about. Arma one of the Doro. contenders yeah. in there on Sunday. Mm. And so congratulations to Hector, doing some great work for Dan Markle. So a couple honorable mentions last week. Scott Freeman, nice win for him. His first win of the meet trainer with Queensboro. Mm-hmm. Feature race last Friday night. And uh, Jennifer Whitaker now wins three straight weeks with a win on Western Rule Sunday. Um, she's doing well. And then uh, the Sire Clubhouse Ride. How about hmm. this? Uh Combined seven wins between Dirt Road Red and Tribal Impact at the meet. Yeah, you pointed that out. That's kind of an oddity right there. Yeah, Tribal Impact now three for three for Jesus Garcia. Kind of does the same thing every time, splits horses in the lane and and wins. Uh, Those are the top two winners. There's another one with three, I believe. But uh, Aloha Breeze has three. Yeah, Yeah. and then uh, Nationhood, uh, three wins this sire last week, including She's a Kraken. Uh, The Factor. Uh, four sire wins at the meet, three of them stakes, two by Aloha Breeze, one by Appeal Factor, and then Lloyd's Logic almost made it four uh, last weekend. So there's a couple sire stats. We caught Appeal Factor on our training day video Thursday morning. She looked great uh, working 5.8, so uh, that was a real professional win in her debut. In the Angie C, all right, yeah, Jennifer Whitaker, our all-time leading female rider. Uh, doing better, and she'll have some chances this weekend. So, uh, again, John White's going to join us in segment two and Bill Traybold in segment three. But uh, the news last Sunday that Golden Gate Fields is closing at the end of the year. How about the state of California losing Hollywood Park, Bay Meadows, Fairplex Park, and now Golden Gate in the last you know, uh, and 10 years or today's so? Today's opening day more. at Del Mar, and that's, you know, they got tremendous field size there. We just watched the first race and it's kind of an alternate universe down there from the rest of the state yeah and it's to me it's really sad we've lived through it up here joe and it's always a a sad day when a historic racetrack closes like that um you know a couple people have mentioned that maybe it's good for emerald downs you know i hope it is but i i'm always of the opinion it's never good when the racetrack closes not at all you lose horsemen in that area you lose local breeders you lose you know people involved fans yeah. bill's uh, been pointing that out you know the breeders down there are now in a real tough situation yeah that's the thing you got sales coming up so how you know we got a sale coming up on august 15th how in the world are you going to you know buy with confidence if you will and that's going to be the question is is what's going to happen can the fairs known as carf put together a new company, if you will, and then have a base at Sacramento. And then they got to kick out the the harness meet, by the way. They got to find a spot for the, the harness people because they got a contract. So you got to figure that out. And, you know, Santa Anita and the and Strona group want all these horsemen to come down to Southern California and then no more Northern California in essence. And is that a good thing? I don't think it is. I think, you well, know, breeding yeah. wise, that's, that's the big thing is, is the breeding operations. And if they, those go away 
then I don't know how Southern California, well, and, you know, has yeah. enough horses to run as many races that they think they're going to run. Well, so. it's, it sounds great to say all those Northern California horses yeah, are going to go to San Diego, but how many of them are right. actually going to be competitive Ex or even fit? It, in races you know, down there? Yeah, exactly. How many can fit and then how many do, do the connections want to run down there too? Right, yeah. So besides, you know, a stake here and there. And yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of issues that they're going to have to be decided and it's going to have to happen quickly because from what I hear, it, it, Golden Gate's done in December. There's no, they're not, they're not going to budge at all. It seems like, and and so a lot of people have got to make a lot of decisions, and you know, then it becomes the simulcast revenue. You know, each each track is, is has got uh, you know OTBs that they uh, that they generate revenue from. So what happens with with the, with those? Um, you know, I I, I wish I, I there's so many. Questions that I still have, and I've been reading up on so much on it, and, and it, it's still I have a lot of questions. You, and, you you listened to that the other day. You were listening to the emergency carf. I caught the tail end. Yeah. Racing fairs. I caught phone. the tail. Yeah, Blaine Wright's like, I don't really want to go down there. So that's what he said on the on the on the on the on the call and all that. And the, you know, a lot of the farms were chiming in as well. You know, they want they, they got to try and make it work up in Northern California. Uh, the Sacramento deal. Otherwise, yeah, I, you know, there's it's 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 going to be Sacramento. Of course, doesn't have a turf course either, right? And they're going to try and potentially put one in, and you know, then it becomes funding and who's who's paying for all this. Yep. And these are not uh, cheap expenditures right. either. You know, these you know Ferndale, they're 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 you know the grandstand had a they had an earthquake up there, and they had to do they have to do repairs before the start of this meet that they're running, and I guess they are running at Ferndale, so. You know all this stuff. Just it just the the questions and the, and the money and who's paying yep. for what and well when you yeah. make a decision when you make an announcement like that a huge announcement uh, you know the powers that be the people involved are going to make the politically correct thing and the 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 drive to enhance Santa Anita sounds good and it'll you know undoubtedly there'll be a few people go down there but you know, that made it sound a lot softer. Yeah. They're selling that place because the money is worth, uh, the, the land is just tremendously valuable right there on the San Francisco Bay. And, you know, they just don't have good attendance. How, how profitable or how little do they lose at that meet? So, uh, you know, yeah. there the, also was an ordinance coming right in about the right. rest of the Bay Area has to yeah. pick up so, the slack. Golden Gate, from what I know, the grandstand's located in, in Albany yeah. and the stable area is located in Berkeley. Okay. And then the people in Berkeley were the ones going to try and pass some ordinance. Now, which hasn't it, passed yet. No, has it hasn't passed. passed. Right. And if Golden Gate wanted to fight it, I think they, they could have and they, they probably would have come up on top because, you know, not going to ban it, you know, the whole has to be 10 hours or something yeah. or more, you know, that whole thing. But, you know, there's, there's, you know, I hear it's going to supposed to be become a park because they can't build, they can't build stuff a certain height or whatever. And hmm. that's why there's, there's limitations on what the actual, what the use would be for, okay. for that. But, you know, they have a grandstand there. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know all the particulars. I read something though about that as well. Well, so. I sure hope something worked out because we've got a lot of good people in the industry who are going to be uprooted by this. Yeah. Rather abrupt decision. And uh, there's lives. It's huge ramifications. Yeah. yeah. Horses and humans. Right. Golden Gate Fields. Uh, and, you know, we didn't mention that Emerald Downs could benefit. I think you might have mentioned we could benefit. Certainly, yep. we could get 
a few trainers, I'm sure a couple few will retire and, you know, they'll, but if they can keep things going in Northern Cal, that would be fantastic. Okay. Uh, we had another passing in the industry. Uh, regret to say that Frank Best passed away at age 68 and he was a very well-known Northwest rider for so many years. We'll talk more about him in the next segment, but we'll take a short break and come back with John White here on Horse Racing Northwest. It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. They're coming down the lane. It's Lodo Canada on the rail and Pappy now they're neck and neck. It's a driving finish. Pappy on the outside. Lodo Canada on the rail head and head. Pappy on the outside by your neck. Pappy and Lodo Canada in a driving finish. There is Pappy. That was one of the most famous races in state history. Lotto Canada was our champion two-year-old, had won the Boeing and track record time, went back east, contested some triple crown preps, beat Temperance Hill at Oaklawn Park, who eventually won the Belmont Stakes that year, came back after running in the swaps at Hollywood and gave, uh, I think it was 14 pounds to Pappy. I believe you were there that day, Vince Barone. I sure was. Uh, yeah, and you know, I kind of felt bad because Pappy was in good form all all year there. And I just remember the first switch of the odds, it was one to nine on Lodo Canada. And it was, all, all the pools were just dominated. He was a really good horse. I mean, he was favored in the Arkansas Derby. And, uh, you know, and he proved to, he ran well in the Long Acres Mile yeah, later bet. on. And uh, it was a kind of a fairy tale story from the beginning, the way though. They bought the horse after winning the Canadian lottery, and it was uh, it was uh, great times for Patty and Lee Brower. But here along comes Pappy with Jim Mayer and Frank Best to spoil the party. Yeah, it was a great race. Pappy, those two went down the stretch together, and Pappy in a photo finish over Lotto Canada. And another guy who might have been there that day as well as our good friend, Washington native, former DRF correspondent, and... Uh, Horse racing knowledge supreme. John White joins us after a f several weeks. In fact, Vince has been saying, you know, we're about due to have John on again, aren't we? John, welcome to Horse Racing Northwest. Great to be with you guys, as always. I was not <clears throat> at Long Anchors for that Long Anchor mm. Derby. I was at Louisiana Downs, which you talked about Temperance Hill. Temperance Hill won the Super Derby, which was a $500,000 race. That was the inaugural running of the Super hmm. Derby. And Temperance Hill came down from New York after winning the Arkansas Derby, the uh, Belmont Stakes, the Traverse Stakes, and the Jackie Claude Gold Cup, defeating John Henry. And I was standing right next to Joe Canty, Temperance Hill's trainer in the winner's circle, while they were running the Super Derby, which at that time was the richest three-year-old race in the world, huh. much richer than the Kentucky Derby. In fact, it was the second richest race in the country, second only to the Jockey Club Gold Cup. 
And uh, Joe Canty, because it was a wet track for that inaugural Super Derby, was nervous about Temperance Hill and how well he would handle the wet track, even though Temperance Hill had won the Belmont on a muddy track. And uh, But it was kind of a funny, muddy, funny wet track in Louisiana Downs. But Temperance Hill won for fun and cemented the Eclipse Award that year for champion three-year-old male. Finishing second was first Albert, trained by Laz Barrera. And that's where I met Laz Barrera, was at that Super Derby. And first Albert stumbled out of the gate, grabbed a quarter, which means that you uh, kind of uh, slice a, your uh, foot a bit. Back really leg into the... What that, what that is. Yeah. And uh, I was at the barn the next morning and asked Laz Barrera, how did first Albert come out of the race? And he says, oh, he grabbed a quarter. Let me show you. So the first trainer to ever show me what a grab quarter looked like was the trainer of Triple Crown Blender Affirmed. That was Laz Barrera. And finishing third in the first Super Derby was Cactus Road, who was ridden by Bill Shoemaker. And that's where I met Bill Shoemaker and would later cover him extensively when I was in Southern California. But uh, Bill Shoemaker, uh, that was a big deal. And I interviewed him for an hour in the jockey's room between races that day. He only rode in the Super Derby. And I asked him, would it be possible to interview you? And he said, sure. No problem, but I, as long as I can play cards while you interview me. Mm-hmm. So while Bill Shoemaker was sitting in the jockey's room playing cards, I went down memory lane with Bill Shoemaker and talked about all kinds of the horses he rode from Forgo to Spectacular Bid to Silky Sullivan to Roundtable and on and on. So uh, great memories. Now, I was at Long Acres when Lotto Canada won the Boeing Stakes. And, in fact, I called that chart to the racing form. So that's a great memory for me. And because you're going to be celebrating the 70s, last night I sat down and jotted down a list of 12 of my favorite horses who have raced at Long Anchors in the 1970s. Okay. And on the list, it begins with, of course, Turbulator. But after Turbulator, we have Gray Papa, Rock Bath, Red Wind, Turn to Fire, Red Eye Express, Table Run, Coco's Pal, Harassi Native, Theologist, Kalame, and Lotto Canada. And uh, so you got some really nice horses there. In fact, Red Eye Express was one of those uh, that won the Governors, as did Turbulator. Turbulator broke the world record in the Governors. The Governors coming up at Emerald on Sunday. And Red Eye Express trained by Howard Delbor, and he'll try to get another governors as he sends out the long shot Muncie in this year's governors hall of fame trainer washington hall of fame trainer howard belvorp yeah he has done great and that horse is going to be a long shot there's quite a few long live long shots in our governor's stakes on sunday at emerald downs john white joining us and uh, great to have you on john and yeah long acres in the 1970s that's going to be our theme on sunday august 6th uh, throwback, turn back the clock day. Gary Bays and Vicky Bays will be here. Larry Pierce, uh, maybe a couple other jockeys from that era as well. Well, Kenny Dahl, Bryson Cooper are here every day. And uh, we're going to have a good time that weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The feature day will be Sunday, uh, August 6th, the week before the 88th Long Acres Mile. 
And you mentioned Bryson Cooper. He won the Long Acres Mile on Theologist, who was a half brother to Table Run, who was on my list of favorites there. Mm-hmm. And Theologist, I happened to be at Santa Anita. It was the first week I'd ever been at Santa Anita. I was traveling back to Yakima Meadows from Louisiana Downs, and my dad and I drove from uh, Louisiana to Turf Paradise, went to the races at Turf Paradise. This was in 1977. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we came to Southern California, and I spent President's Week going to Santa Anita. It was my first time of going to the races at Santa Anita. I saw Crystal Water, Ancient Title, win races, but I also saw a Theologist win a maiden race. And later that year, for Jim Penny, theologist would win the Long Acres Mile. Yeah, four-year-old maiden he was that year and won the mile later on. Jim Penny's second of five Long Acres Mile victories. And John, uh, uh, currently, John, you are doing the morning line for Del Mar, which opens today? Yes, indeed. And boy, you talk about some tough uh, <laughs> races to be making morning lines. Are these 14-horse deals? Yeah. Uh, I mean, wow, it's, uh, it's been challenging to say the least, but, uh, I've had a lot of challenges making morning lines. I've done it for seven breeders cups and this will be the eighth year that I make the morning line for the breeders cup. So that's certainly been one of the feathers of my cap during my racing career. Began my racing career in 1974, a Playfair race course for the racing form. So that means that the next year will be my 50th yeah. year working in racing. Wow. John, I had a question about the, the morning line, uh, doing it for Del Mar at opening day. Of course, Vince does the morning line here. I help him a little bit. I've done it in the past at Indiana Grand. How long does it take you to do this morning line for opening day at, at Del Mar? Well, it's interesting you asked that question because I actually was taking note of that for these first three days. And on uh, for the today's card, the Friday card, from the moment I got the past performances of 5 o'clock, it was a total of 13 hours. Wow. The Saturday card, when I got the past performances of 5.15, it was 15 hours. And for the Sunday card, when I got the past performances at 3.45, it was 16 hours. The reason it took more for the Sunday card was because there was a lot of video work. There was a there's a two year old race on Sunday that uh, has Miramati, who was a big favorite. Uh, he's an expensive uh, yearling from the Bob Baffert barn, but that race is kind of chock full. In fact, Miramati is the only horse in the race with any racing experience, so I had to spend a lot of re- time on the research of not only watching every video I could for workout. But, of course, the pedigree research, and, and uh, so that was very time-consuming. You've got to uh, renegotiate. In fact, there's a horse, there's a horse that I want to give you guys in that race that I think is very interesting. Okay. Uh, that might be a bit of a price. Not a, I don't know how big a price. It's a real question mark. But it's the other Baffert. I think Miramati, because of the fact that he costs so much money, at public auction, and he was such a heavy favorite in uh, the basic tips and fraternity at Santa Anita that I think he's going to be heavily bet. I made him eight to five. He could even go lower. I mean, there was so much hype on that horse uh, off his debut. He's a, uh, cost a little over a million dollars at public auction. And uh, Juan Hernandez, who's our leading rider on this circuit in Southern California now, Retains the mountain. He was three to five in that stakes race, 
and got beat by a horse that had uh, come out of a stakes race at Churchill and ran a big race there. But now he's in a maiden race off the stakes race. But the other Bapper horse, why I'm saying that I think he could be worth betting, and I made him four to one, he could be any kind of a price. But this is a horse that actually, in the video work I did, he held his own in workouts uh, against a couple of Bapper horses that uh, were very impressive winners. And one was Booth, who might be that first best two-year-old right now. I mean, that horse, the day after Miramati got beat, Booth ran off the screen at Santa Anita. I mean, was extremely impressive. And then there was another horse that won big, uh, ran lights out at Los Alamitos. And in the two workouts that uh, Tall Paul had uh, against those two Baffert horses, he went toe-to-toe with those two runners trained by Baffert that have already won and won big. But because there's so much hype with Miramani, that should help the price on Tall Paul. And there's also a lot of hype for Pony Express, a gunrunner colt trained by John Sadler. And uh, that's a two-year-old that I made five to two. And I think, I mean, he's going to get a lot of play, too, based on the way he's being talked up. So the fact that Miramati and Pony Express, I think, are going to get a lot of play could really help the price on Tall Paul. But I didn't want to make him too high because based on those workouts that I saw, I think this frosted colt, Tall Paul, could come out running. So I think he's one to look at that, you know, won't likely be the favorite in the race. Very good. Okay. That's something to look forward to on Sunday at Del Mar. Not sure what race that is, but a two-year-old maiden race. Eighth race. Eighth Eighth race race on the card. Okay. Race eight. And uh, I was just going to interrupt there. John, you got to renegotiate your morning line contract with Del Mar. You need to get paid by the hour. And that's, <laughs> that's very uh, good. That's uh, or at least by the horse. <laughs> yeah, by the horse. Okay, John White joining us, and uh, just a lot going on. Saratoga opened last week. Del Mar opens this week. The Haskell is Saturday, as as a lot of big three year olds coming up in the next several weeks. Three year old races that is, including the Muckleshoot Derby at Emerald Downs, but. Uh, you know, just after the Triple Crown ended, or actually Preakness week, with so few horses heading from the Derby to the Preakness, um, what about the schedule, uh, the, the time-worn schedule in the Triple Crown, two weeks to the Preakness, three weeks to the Belmont? Uh, is it about time to change that and add a little more time in between, John? Yeah, I know a lot of people feel that that's merited. I'm not really in that camp because... For instance, there was a real uh, clamoring for that uh, when we had the 37-year drought. And uh, people were, look, I lived through the not the entire 25 years of the drought between Citation and Secretariat, but that drought was causing a lot of people to think that the Triple Crown would never be won again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then Bold Ruler, I mean, uh, we get Secretariat, who a lot of people say, well, he can't win the Derby because he's by Bold Ruler. A Bold Ruler can't go that far to win the Kentucky Derby. And, of course, Secretariat not only won the Derby, he won the Preakness, and then he won the Belmont by 31 lengths in the greatest race of performance of our lifetime. But then we got Seattle Slough, and then we got uh, Affirmed. So that quieted this clamoring to maybe change the Triple Crown, but then when we got the 37-year drought, then they were saying, well, we need to change it again. But boom, we get American Pharaoh, and then we get Justify. So, look, if, if 
the triple crown had been changed before American Pharaoh, American Pharaoh would not be regarded the same as these other triple crown winners because people would feel he won a different triple crown. So, I mean, Baffert's proven that it can be done. He did it with both those horses. So I, I just feel like, you know, it's it's something that works in racing. It 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 spills over into the general media, and that's something racing really needs is some positive uh, positiveness in the in the general media. So I wouldn't monkey with the Triple Crown. And by the way, I mentioned Seattle Slough, and getting back to the 1970s, that was really memorable for me to be at Long Acres when Seattle Slough won the Kentucky Derby the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes. I'll never forget that derby because they really played it up at Long Acres. They sold uh, mint juleps. They had a Dixieland band at the Winter Circle. Don't forget, in 1977, you couldn't bet on the Kentucky Derby at Long Acres. It hadn't been that many years before we were able to even watch the Kentucky Derby at, at a track yeah. away from Churchill Downs. And... uh that was the first time I heard a roar from the crowd that wasn't for a live race when Seattle Slough was coming down the stretch mm. in that Kentucky Derby. And that was a sign of times to come because now, of course, we watch and bet on races from all over the world on television. We do it on our computers. We do it on our phones. We do it on all kinds of devices. So that, so that was kind of a turning point when Seattle Slough swept that triple crown. And it was such a big deal in Seattle because of the name and, of course, Mickey and Karen Taylor being Washingtonians. And uh, what a ph- phenomenal horse he was. And uh, just, you know, but that's a big memory for me from the 1970s, being there for Seattle Slough's triple crown sweep at Long Acres. Yeah, we'll have some pictures up on our big screen and our Television monitors, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, August 4th, 5th, and 6th from the 70s. And Seattle Slough will be part of that. Uh, Going to be doing interviews. So uh, some pricing from 1970s Long Acres time as well. Not everything, but some pricing. We're going to have kind of a different wagering menu on Sunday, August 6th. Uh, Phil Ziegler, our president, he wants to go... Vince, we had that uh, meeting. We're going to go with uh, uh, first race and uh, first double and last double, last two races, and then exactas are going to stay. But after that, uh, no trifectas, superfectas, or uh, pick threes or fours. Yeah, that'll be interesting because <laughs> uh, people are accustomed to those wagers now. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm glad we're going to have the exactas at least. And that's interesting. And we, of course, when we started going, we had the double on races one, two, and five dollar exacta on race 10 and i remember people starting to line up for that exacta bet at about race nine they had the special windows to bet on and uh, that was a huge deal around town who won the double and what did the exacta pay and john we're even going to try and make the video look a little bit like 70s with the run numbers remember those uh kind of small neon looking lights that uh the there were different run numbers with the first, I think it was just the first three placing was, horses. Yeah, maybe was it was four. Three. I think it was four, but okay. I could be wrong. Anyway, we're going to give it a shot. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun for that weekend, prior week prior to the mile at Emerald Downs. So John, you know, John could well, go. Well, you talk about how big the double once was. I mean, 
I remember when it was the only exotic on the entire card. There wasn't even a $5 exact on the last race, and that was a big deal when they, they brought in the $5 exact for the last race. But to 70, show you what a big deal the ago, double yeah. was, uh, one day in the 1970s, I was driving to Playfair with my dad. And we were in the car that everybody knew as Lack of Boss because I had bet on Lack of Boss in, that, in his final start of 1974, enough money to buy a 69 Bonneville Pontiac. <laughs> and everybody called him Lack of Boss because of the fact that I made the money betting on that horse to get that car. So we're driving to Playfair, and we get right off I-90, the turn to get to Playfair. We're sitting at the red light, and the car stalls. So we have to push the car off to the side. Now, remember, there's no cell phones or anything in those days. So we're sitting there trying to figure out. My dad worked in the money room, so he had to get to the track to work, and I was calling charts, so I had to get to the track, too. And this this uh, policeman who was the guard in the money room at Playfair uh, was driving uh, in his car. And I thought, great, you know, we can flag him down and he'll help us, you know, get to the track or get our car or whatever. So I waved at the guy and all he did was wave at me and drive off. <laughs> so my dad and I got the, were able to get to the track, you know, and finally, and I saw the policeman and I said, Gee, didn't you see that we were stranded there and we could have used your help? And he said, yeah, I saw you, but I had to make the double. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's the tie-in. Yeah, the double was huge. Uh, uh, really, really big handle every day, especially on weekends. And, you know, we could go with John forever on 70s uh, Long Acres in Washington, but those are some great highlights, John. And, um and you might send me a picture if you have. Do you have a picture of that Bonneville Lack of Boss? You got a picture of that? No, unfortunately. What? No. Okay. Well, that's we a can... shame, though. But boy, that everybody. In fact, I'll tell you another quickie on that. When I was calling charts at Yakima Meadows, I would my dad would be in the crowd, and I'd come down and sit with him on the benches between races. Uh, and so I was sitting with him, and so my dad says. How's Lack of Boss doing? And I said, oh, you know what? He's kind of not doing all that well. I think I'm going to have to take him in, and I, I'm not sure what the problem is. And he's just kind of sputtering, and uh, i got to get that attended to. And finally this person walked over to us, and he, this guy says, excuse me, who, who are you talking about? And I said, well, well, we're talking about my car. And he says, oh, thank God. I thought you were talking about the horse. <laughs> he walked back away. Yeah. But the way I was talking about my car, the poor guy thought that the horse was in the worst possible exactly. shape uh, in the world. <laughs> Pretty well-known horse there in central Washington. John, hey, thanks. Well, I, saw, I saw his father run a, a number of times, Lack Knack, who was a very popular horse at oh, Long yeah. Anchors in the 60s. And, in fact, uh, I was my first Long Anchors mile in 1967 that was won by King's Favor uh, they paraded Lacknack that day between races because he had been retired from racing and was going to stud. So that's another Long Acres memory from 1967, well over 50 years ago. Yeah, Lacknack was a heck of a horse. Eight stakes wins. I got the book right here. Eight Long Acres stakes wins for Lacknack. 
Hey, thanks so much, John, for your contributions. And in the last couple of weeks, I've run into two fans out there. When are you going to have John White on your podcast again? I love listening to that guy. And anyway, you're here and uh, you'll be on again in uh, Long Acres Mild Time. So, John, thank you so much. And I'm I'm sorry that we took 30 minutes or so out of your day. Jeez, that Del Mar morning line. Of course, you're done for this week. So have a great first week at Del Mar. And thanks for joining us once again. Well, thanks a lot, guys. By the way, speaking of Sunday's governors, I really do like Sluice Tiz Wiz mm. there. Uh, he won the race last year, impressively, and I thought, really, he ran a huge race in defeat last time. He was flying at the end, and I think that's going to – that was his comeback race, his first start of the year. I think that's going to set him up beautifully for this race. And, of course, then last year he, he parlayed his win of the governors right back to take the Long Acres Mile, so – I think Sluice Tiz Wiz uh, is going to be extremely tough to beat in this year's Governors. I think he's got a very good chance to make a back-to-back Governors win. Yep, indeed. Okay, John, thank you. And I know you'll be watching the Governors, and uh, have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Thanks John. Thank Bye-bye. you, John. John White joining us. And, yeah, Sluice Tiz Wiz, defending mile champ, defending governor's champ. You guys got any comments on the uh, Triple Crown schedule at all? Keep, me, it, keep uh, it the same. You want you want more horses to go from the Derby to the Preakness? Raise the purse money up. Boy, it was a million five this year. Well, I'm just, you know, all these races, I, I all these, you're bringing up a topic that I think that needs to be addressed, you know, in terms of racing. Well, now we got allowance races and maiden races that are higher than some of the yeah. greatest stakes races. That's out there. right. I know this is a triple crown and I'm bringing up maybe apples and oranges, but you know, you want to keep horses around, raise, raise the purse even more. You know, what was the Derby? So is that up to three now? Is it, uh, don't I, well, yeah, I think it might yeah, be I three. Think it is. And I it, wouldn't bother me if they, put an extra week in between the Derby and Preakness and an extra week in between. It wouldn't bother me. And, you know, I know there's a lot of years of tradition, but there's, I just heard a figure there's only 16,000 foals now, yep, which is yep, down yep. from 25. Uh, and a, a million five person, the Preakness, and hardly anybody went to that. Uh, you know, that that's, I don't know how much money you got to throw at something to make it attractive, but I'm not clamoring for it, but it certainly wouldn't bother me. Vince, you got any thoughts I, on yeah, that? I, I, I prefer they leave it alone, but yeah. but I understand things evolve and change, and the thoroughbred we have in 2023 is maybe not the exact same we had 50, 60 years ago. So uh, like you, I I could live with it if they changed. I prefer they didn't, um, okay. but, but um, I would understand if they did. Fair enough. Okay. Thanks to John for joining us. And, you know, we mentioned the passing of Frank Best. Uh, He was living in the Midwest, an apprentice at Long Acres back in 1972. And he came in at kind of a tough time because Larry, or excuse me, Gary Bays was an apprentice the next year and won the title as an apprentice in 73. But Frank had his moments. He rode Pappy to that Long Acres Derby victory and, uh, uh, he, he had a great career at Long Acres. Number seven all time. Yeah. He's, you know, you talk guys like Hugh Wales, another one, Frank Best, that uh, maybe they didn't win titles, but at the end of the year, they were always in the top 10 and they got their wins and they had their barns they did business with. And I told you before we started, Frank Best, you'd get him on the on the front end. He was tough to get Very by. tough. Very tough. and Strong upper body. 
and tremendous with maidens for whatever the reason. I mean, I cashed a lot of tickets on him on maiden claimers where he would go, and you know, maiden, uh, maiden claimers, you know, you, traditionally speed is the way to go, you know, and uh, he would get to the lead and he'd get them to the wire. He was really good. W rode a lot of winners for Larry Ross, you know, horses coming off the Denida training there and uh, just a very competent jockey. And we played, you know, he's very famous for the Pappy win and that was one heck of a horse race. That was a great horse race. Uh, 20 stakes wins at Long Acres, uh, number 20 on the list there for Frank Best. And he was a native of Washington and 68 was it years White old. Swan or Soap, Soap Lake? Lake. Soap there Lake, there you go. Yeah. Uh, just uh, was doing okay. Was doing some yard work with his wife, Donna, back there in Kentucky. And uh, that evening he didn't feel well and he... Apparently, according to Grant Forster, he had a couple of seizures and he wasn't able to be revived. So our condolences to his family. Frank Best passes at age 68. Okay, we're going to come back with our third and final segment on Horse Racing Northwest. It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. Muckleshoot. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. Muckleshoot. Back on Horse Racing Northwest. And joining us is a great Northwest race fan. He's also Brent and... Uh, horse owner and breeder even he's covered it but uh spends a lot of his time up on the fifth floor with his fellow top handicappers player rewards members kind of astute handicappers bill Trebold joining us on horse racing northwest billy great to have you thank you joe glad to be here good to have you and you know the occasion is uh uh Manoj perique passing a regular in your room up there, uh, you know, there can be anywhere from three to 12 people in that room. Uh, Sometimes 20 on a Saturday. Okay, uh, gets pretty crowded on Saturday, but uh, the fellas say that you knew Manoj as well as anybody engaged in conversations with him. And first of all, you know, the loss is, is, is heartfelt. He was a real regular around here, Billy. Yes, he was, and uh, like I mentioned, the problem was there was no outward indication that he had any kind of health or medical issue whatsoever. He was 69 years old, just turned 69 mm -hmm. on July 4th, and uh, one of his best friends here is a gentleman who I don't know named Brian Henry, who went to Harvard with Mo. Mm. And I was going to get into some of the background. And, Perfect, do it. Uh we called him Mo, but his real name was Manaj Parikh. He came here from India about 1978 with about 32 cents in his pocket. Huh. And uh, he uh, had a scholarship to Akron University in Ohio. And he graduated from Akron and then uh, got a scholarship to the Harvard Business School. Wow. And he, gra and he graduated. By the way, his degree at Akron was in chemical engineering. And at Harvard, he graduated, like I just mentioned, in business. And his working career took him to Portland and Seattle. And uh, I'm not exactly sure when he landed in Seattle, but I believe it was approximately 15 to 20 years ago 
when they had the cigar room was the cigar room. That's right. Yeah. Whatever year that is. Yeah. And uh, he uh, got to know the bunch of us rather quickly on the fifth floor. He was a handicapper. And uh, all of us in the former Shimpo room, Gary Shore, myself, Ray Moore, and a few others, got to know him quite well. And uh, I, we really liked Mo personally. Mo had an opinion on everything, <laughs> and he was easy to, easy to rile up, especially on politics. Uh, we were at opposite ends of the spectrum, but every so often I'd bait him, he'd take the bait, we'd give him a verbal argument, and uh, I, I enjoyed it because... Once it was over, we moved on. There was never any hard feelings about anything. Uh, nice. As far as racing goes, he was an astute handicapper, in my opinion. A couple little stories. 2014, uh, he had a pick six ticket, and he wanted me to go half on it. He had uh, in the Kentucky Derby that year, and he had California Chrome single. Well, I didn't like Chrome that much, so he went and bought his own ticket. And made uh, and hit the pick six for twenty six thousand, and there I was feeling stupid. Yeah. Another thing was the very next year, two thousand fifteen. We put a pick six ticket together, and uh, it was in uh, the Traverse Stakes uh, day at Saratoga, and the, the horse we had single was American Pharaoh at the end, and we know how that ended. But that's not the story. In one of the turf races, Mole had picked out. Run Happy, and this before anybody knew who Run Happy was. Run Happy came from Ellis Park, and uh, I dismissed him. Most said, no, we got to use him. He ran uh, excellent. Sure enough, Run Happy won at big prices. We were live in the pick six, but of course, we only got five out of six. Keen Line beat American Pharaoh that day. Right, and nobody hit the pick six by the or day. Keen, there was a huge carryover. No, not Keen Line, but... Uh, Keen Ice. Yeah, Keen Ice. Keen Ice, and uh, that was the Dale Roman horse. Yeah. And uh, he was very good at picking out horses coming from obscure tracks to the big tracks. And we played uh, the Nyer Circuit frequently. That was... Um, Probably, uh, he gravitated from California racing to New York racing, although we all played Santa Anita and Del Mar, uh, especially Mo. So, and Mo was at, at Emerald Downs probably five days a week, and uh, he was a unique guy. He, had, uh, he was never married, single, had no family here, but had some great friends like myself. And just for kicks, a few years ago, he started to become an Uber driver. And he became an Uber driver. Yeah, no, you don't make a whole lot of dough being an Uber driver, but he enjoyed it. Got to know Seattle. Very chatty guy. Met all kinds of people. So, I'm just giving you an outline of the, the man. Yeah. And uh, so he'll be missed. He'll be missed greatly. Uh, we used to watch a lot of. We did. We lived near each other in the South Bellevue area and got together frequently for Monday night football at a place in Factoria. And he was an early bird, and I was an early bird, so we had a lot of breakfast meetings in the general Auburn area. So uh, it was it was just that kind of a guy that yeah. you kind of gravitated to. So he'll be missed around here very much, especially by those of us in the VIP room on the fifth floor. He was the mayor of the room. I really? Mean, he was there, and he, he took charge. And nobody begrudged that. You know, hey, here's the TV remote. 
put up the tracks he wanted. We didn't have to tell him that he'd do it anyway. He enjoyed putting uh, pick five, pick six tickets together. Uh, With anybody in the room, you want to come in, come on in for two bucks, ten bucks, whatever. So uh, that's that's just an off the cuff. Yeah, those of you that were that are semi or regulars up on the fifth floor would know Manoj. uh, He's, you know, he wasn't real tall. He was probably about five, five or so. And, but, uh, you know, fairly trim and, uh, a native of the country of India, but, uh, quite the presence at Emerald Downs and just used that intelligence that Bill went over. As you can tell by his schooling that he had quite the mental acumen and, uh, turned it into a passion with thoroughbred handicapping. Yes. Yeah, he uh, when he was in Portland, he told me he had six pick tickets, six pick six tickets at six different uh, wow. days. If I say that right, it's <laughs> tough. Anyway, uh, and he never bragged about anything at all. And he was a very outgoing guy, so he knew uh, a lot of people. He was a very very generous tipper, and all the mutual. I talked to a mutual clerk to give you an example about a week ago, and I. I know a lady on the fifth floor, and I said, do you know about Mo? She says, yeah, it's very sad. I didn't know him very well, but he said hello to me every day he passed by in the morning. So yep. uh, there was no arrogance there about anything. And Billy, he, even though he came from India, he assimilated into the American way immediately. Billy, thank you so much. Uh, the guys up there figured you'd be the best person, and uh, that that's a uh, nice uh, short and uh, encapsulation of Manoj Parikh, who we did lose a little more than a week ago. And he will be missed around here, uh, as, as you can tell by Billy's tribute. Billy, thank you so much. Well, I'm glad to do it. Yeah. Thanks to Bill Traybold for joining us and uh, talking about Manoj Parikh, a real unique individual and a you know, just a valued member of the thoroughbred community, a wagerer, and uh, passed on a lot of knowledge. So thank you to Billy. Uh, I put on our list this week a topic, uh, you know, when you see a horse's running line, and and you guys are full-time handicappers, and for a lot of years, uh, something that you see that's kind of an immediate negative that would lead you to, I can beat that horse today, and not always a favorite, Uh, What made me think of it was horses that just don't have a lot of punch in that last eighth of a mile. And of course, horses that are strict front runners, you know, wouldn't count in that. But horses that generally are a little bit off the pace and and they have five, six, seven, eight races where they just they can't pass. They don't gain lengths. And I just I get turned off by that a little bit if it's a real consistent thing. And sometimes they can inherit the lead. And, you know, as Vince always throws in there, nothing's an absolute this game. Yeah. But, but I tend to, to look, I, I can beat that horse. Uh, somebody can beat him. So that, that one turns me off. I tend to look elsewhere. Guys? I will go with uh, a horse that's uh, going off at short odds, and I see that it's a chronic bad breaker. Okay. And, uh, you know, it'll show the post position then where it breaks, and it's last or next to last always early, and then it'll leave another – the brief comment line will say broke slow uh, or, you know, uh, bobbled start or, 
you know, they just do that. And, Clayton uh, Delaney this year. Yeah, and you know they they always look good on paper because you know they got some ability and they tend to come running at the end. People think, boy, with a good start, you know, he's going to be right there. And but they horses, you know, like humans have tendencies sometimes, and uh, some horses uh, just kind of chronically have trouble out of the gate. Let me add to that, Bill, for just a second. Is that those horses are schooled time after time in the morning. Uh, if the pub, you people that uh, listening are fans out there that uh, don't get to see morning training, that is mandatory that you have to go back to the gate and do your schooling. And, um, you know, if you are real chronic at it, uh, there can be action taken. But uh, that is worked on time and time again. So it's not just something that let's just throw it up random hope he breaks good oh for sure time. yeah and yeah. i agree the trainers they're they're cognizant if the horse has problems and yeah. they will try to correct that and a lot of times they do but some horses just have the knack there's always trouble getting yeah. out of the gate and we uh, see it we see it and uh if, if that horse tends to be going to be a short price that, that might to me it'll be a strike against it I'm not saying i wouldn't necessarily pick it but it'll, it'll be a, a negative so uh, you know, horse racing is a pure mutual game. And so the more money's bet, you know, the less the price is. So my dad taught me something at an uh, early age. He's like, don't accept a, pr a low price on a horse that's doing something for the first time. You know, these horses will win. You know, there's horses that do, that do overcome their first time route, first time, uh, lots of things. But I want to get a price if they're doing that. So that would be my, my addition to the uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, just because, yeah, some horses do overcome, like a maiden that is taking on winners for the first time. You gotta be skeptical because mm -hmm. that's, that's a, that's a huge, huge, uh, uh, class rise for a horse. And there's plenty of horses that do, there's some horses that do it, but I don't want to take a low price on those type of horses. I'd rather be, I'm always trying to be a contrarian, um, with, with regards uh, to, to gambling, uh, with, uh, with horses. Very good. Yeah. Uh, that's a good angle there. So, okay. There's a little bit that sometimes we see and we tend to look elsewhere for our winner in that race. Uh, sports shorts. I'm going to go first. Uh, August 20th, Woodbine has a new race, you guys, and it's their biggest race at the meet. It's called the King's Plate. There you go. Oh, Bill's yeah. got it. It's the King's Plate for the first time since 1951. Queen Elizabeth reigning from 52 to 2022. And it's been the Queen's Plate. And it was the Queen's Plate for a whole long time. It's The race started in 1860 when Queen Victoria was reigning in her 64 years. But it's the King's Plate this year, a new race at Woodbine. Next. Well, I see that football camps are opening up and uh, uh, going to be interesting. A couple things. One, of course, locally is uh, whether the Seahawks can build off a nice nine and eight surprise season last year and whether Geno Smith is uh, kind of a one hit wonder or the real deal. He did to get a new contract. Um, I hearken back to August 1st, 76, since we're going down the memory lanes and hmm. I, I was in the kingdom that day and the Seahawks played their first ever exhibition ah. game and lost to the 49ers, um, 24 to 20. Sam McCollum score a touchdown. Uh, well, he scored in the first regular season game. Again, oh. Yeah. Against the Cardinals. He scored the first ever 
regular season touchdown. Yeah, but the Jim Zorn, I think it was Neil Graff was the starter in the first half. They had gotten in the expansion draft, and he didn't do much. And then they brought in Zorn for the second half, and he, he rallied him back. You know, of course, it was against a lot of yeah. 49ers backups and all that. And that was also, I believe, Jim Plunkett's first game with the Niners. They had just acquired him. And uh, it was an exciting moment. You know, the first NFL, it wasn't an official game, but it was felt like it to me. It was like a really important. And that was uh, 40, <laughs> we're all showing our age, 47 years ago. Yeah, and uh, very, very new kingdom at that time. Yeah, and... Uh, been uh, telling Bill, when are we going to get his thoughts on uh, being without Aaron Rodgers? And he said, it's coming, it's coming. So I played in a scramble yesterday. That's why we're doing the podcast. The car, the track made me play golf yesterday, guys. Uh-huh. What had, a bummer. Uh, they yeah, made me. Uh-huh. And one of the guys had a Packer shirt and a Packer hat on. He's very, from around here. Very but, intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bill? I, uh our Seattle Mariners, I, I guess should, I should say, Joe. 500 out. Joe, and, and Joe might still be on a little bit of the bandwagon. Vince has climbed off it completely. They're a 500 team. I, not, well, they got good the, pitching. and the, Well, you, you've got that Bill Parcells quote down pretty good. You are uh, what you are. Your, your record <laughs> says you are. And they are 48 and 48. They were 3 and 4 in the last week. They lost 2 or 3 to Detroit. And they lost just a heartbreaker game on on Wednesday to the the Twins. I, I think it was a pass ball that was the, uh, hmm. the go ahead run. And then after the game, our good friend uh, Kalanick decided, or during after his ninth inning strikeout, he decided to take it out on the water cooler. And he hurt his foot enough that he had to go fractured on fractured it, fractured his foot. So he had to go on the uh, on the disabled list. And then they they brought up another guy from uh, from Tacoma, even though it's not the guy that I want them to bring up from Tacoma, who has an OPS of 950 this year, Jake Shiner. But uh, nonetheless, at least somebody new uh, uh, from Tacoma is uh, back up with uh, with the Mariners. They play uh, the Blue Jays this weekend, and uh, Bryce Miller's on the bump tonight. Uh, what by the time you hear this? Uh, Hopefully they've uh, got off to a good start, and then they go on the road at Minnesota, who they just played uh, four games uh, up here in the Pacific Northwest. And it's go time. I you know I I don't know what to to make of this team. I you know this is the time of year last year they got on that big uh, streak. Um, they you know in August they they played some teams that they could actually beat. And that's going to have to be the time that they uh, make a move. But uh, yeah, they are. Mediocre at best right now, 48 and 48. Still the hitting a little bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, Suarez got hit hot during the Minnesota series. He hit like three homers in like as many days, I think it was. But it's 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 still you know we're we're they're, they're Mike Ford has done, done all right you know he he's sure has. he's kind of like our little version of of uh, Schwarber for the Phillies he he doesn't uh, uh, doesn't have the greatest uh, uh, he hits a lot of homers physique. yeah he's got the physique he's a lefty um, he's got a ton of power in his bat he doesn't have like you know homers to RBIs he, he has a lot of homers not that, that many RBIs for as many homers as he's got but at least he's got some pop. And knock it out of the ballpark. Oh. And so he's our guy that wasn't on this team at the beginning of the year, and he's turned out all right. So, yeah. I'll tell you one thing. I'd like to be the agent for George Kirby and uh, your man Logan Gilbert. Oh, my goodness. Those are two really solid young arms they got. George Kirby just lights out yesterday. for No for, walks. Save the, se- save the season. They lose three or four. It is just after losing two or three. And they go two and five on that home home trip, uh, home stand. It would be depressing. But uh, 
Um, at least they're three and four, and we'll see what they do against Bill's the Blue Jays. not giving up. I'm not giving up yet. I'm trying. Well, you guys convinced me a couple of shows ago that uh, even though California and Texas are better this year, they're not uh, playing their better ball in the second half of the season. So there's plenty oh, of games that, with the, them left. The, the Angels did sweep the Yankees, who were oh, t- or, or in a free fall. And Texas, at least, uh, they, they were pretty good against Tampa, I think it was. Okay. Um, so they at least uh, they're Highs and lows. Of life. Yes, yes, sir. All right, there's some sport shorts. And I will add, we did defeat the Canadians in oh, our Ryder Cup. Right on. And we crushed them this. I don't know how we did it, but it was like 21 to 7 in points. And Georgie Colella won his match. Made a All six, right. Made a six-footer on the last hole to to beat one of his nemesis over the last He had to be happy. Years. Yeah, he was. Okay, uh, some selections. Uh, Vince is going to hold off making the morning line. Uh, Friday, I went with uh, Daredevil Princess in the last race, number seven at seven to two for Vince Gibson, a recent claim. Um, and she's only run twice at the meeting, but uh, we talked about that first race versus winner. She ran quite well after breaking her maiden, spaced out her races pretty well. She's coming back in about three weeks, but uh, since arriving from Golden Gate, has a maiden win and a second against winners. So I'll go with her, Rocco Bowen, for Vince Gibson. Did you have anything Friday, Bill? Ah, uh, yeah, but okay. that, I I have a couple on Sunday, so I figured right. I, I figured I'd go with uh, at least your horse is uh, later in the card. Uh, mine mm-hmm. would be like the first race, so some people might not even have heard our podcast by then. So I decided to go with a couple of long shots on Sunday, both with trainers looking for their first wins of the meet. The third race, the one she had a secret comes out of the Fannie Bay alley race. Now stay sassy, who is the uh, going to be the favorite in that race ran great at bit, a big price getting beaten only by a head on that July 3rd maiden race. But she had a secret uh, dropped way back after having to take up up the back stretch, was last turning for home and closed really nicely to get to fifth in that race. Uh, visually, it is much better than what the the chart shows. So she had a secret, a big price. I believe Vince made uh, made her fifteen to one in the third race. Someone you got to throw in in exotics. And then the fifth race, it's, it's a claiming race. Non-winners are two lifetime, $5,000. You got a favorite of Super Classic who is a one for 42 lifetime, finds ways to, to get in trouble all the time. Hollywood, as usual, is the pick uh, at six to one. Uh, Vichen Chatong looking for uh, his first win. This horse uh, didn't get out of the gate, had the rail post, then rushed up into position, and then got uh, the jockey got in a little tight there, got shuffled completely, could have finished dead last easily, but re-rallied nicely for fourth, uh, beating only a couple lengths. It was a tough, tough trip, much better post. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping uh, Hollywood, as usual, at 6-1, to one, you get Ortiz, who has been aboard this horse before. So a couple long shots. Third race, the one she had a secret. Fifth race, the five, Hollywood, as usual. Uh, those will be my uh, picks for the podcast. Okay. I think I'm ready to pick both stakes on Sunday. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to give Slack Tide a slight edge. Did she I go see- to the lead? Well, yeah. She's outside of uh, Zip and Sevens. Uh, you know, Young Life Laura's got a little speed, but probably not this type of speed. And you've got several stalkers and closers. Slack tight. And, you know, Zippin' Sevens has lost her last four sprint races. She's a good horse, a really fine horse. But that just shows that maybe, uh, you know, I think Bill mentioned something like that earlier, as the distances get longer. She was, of course, our distaff winner 
last year and lost by a half in the Washington Cup at a mile and a 16th. So Slack Tide uh, did so much of the dirty work in that Hastings and still was only beaten a half length by a very impressive Blazing Bella Blue. But at three to one, uh, I would take that against Blazing Bella Blue, who's going to be low. I she deserves to be low. I respect them both. They've, yeah. they've both won a lot of stakes races here as we've talked. They, they Cream comes to the top sometimes. And Blazing Bella Blue, she's she's really neat. She kind of adapts to whatever oh, happens out there. Was... And she's a, she's just a short, long, she does it. Yeah. But Slack Tide, I thought, got a real nice draw, as you point she out, did. Joe. Second and, time, Negron. Getting yeah. four pounds swing this time. That doesn't hurt, going six and a half. So in the... Uh, the Governors, what a race. What a bunch of live long shots. Connections, you know, even Jill Serrano with Palaco, there's not that much blazing speed in there. There's or, Bridal up to the bar who can really yeah. shows that he can go to the front and be fast. Coastal Kid has pretty good speed. He broke poorly in the Budweiser. He's one that I'm sure Jeff Metz is high on. Zestful, a hey, man's man. Uh, Muncie's Muncie. done nothing but run. You know, those comes off an 80 buyer last out. They're the cause. And uh, Muncie, well, and Howard Belvoir has won the race a record five times, so he knows a governor's horse when he has one. Boy. Could have could have easily entered in the race right before. So I think to give Muncie a shot in the race. So I, 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 think, I, that, I think that's one that has a chance to hit the board, certainly at a big price. Yeah, assessment uh, beat Noosa Beach in that what eleven race string. Noosa Beach won ten out of eleven. Yeah, His only right. loss was to assessment in the governors. But I'm gonna pick a man's man. Okay. Uh, this is a fine, fine racehorse. John Lindley's trouble lines hopped, bumped, checked early, lost three and a half at the break. Now, he didn't run on really quickly like Zestful did and like Coastal Kid did, like, of course, Sluice Tiz Wiz did, who, who's a monster. But a man's man, second time Emerald Downs. Alex Cruz, I'm sure, is excited to ride him back. He came back with a really nice work. Uh, he's three for five on dirt in his life with a third. So that was his only unplaced race ever. Had his best year at age six. I'm going to say he makes his presence felt in there. And there's going to be some prices in that governor's behind uh, Bridle Up to the Bar and Slew's Tiz Wiz. And I, and I don't fault anyone who likes either of those. Like John said, he likes Slew's Tiz Wiz, the defending champ. Sure. I know Bill likes... Uh, doesn't is going to pick against the top two as well in the governors. Yeah, I'm I'm going to probably go with Zestful, uh, who I had the rail and mm -hmm. last time out has drawn much better on the outside. Second race off the layoff gets a little bit more distance. He was in between horses in the stretch. He fired. Uh, had too much to do in the stretch uh, to catch up with Rattle up to the bar who ran uh, terrific uh, in the Budweiser. So. Um, Zestful and Sluice Tiz Wiz probably my top two, even though Coastal Kid, yeah, you know, he, he was right next to uh, Zestful. He, you know, he normally acts to be a lot closer to the pace, didn't have the best start in the world. Right. And so he's, he's one that uh, I'd be throwing in in exotics and a man's man. He's just going to have to, I, I need to see a little bit better break and then I want to see where he fits. So he, he's, he's one that I'm looking potentially for. Uh, the Long Acres Mile. He's just going to have to show me a little bit more than what happened in the Budweiser because, you know, other horses did have some trouble in that race as well and uh, and performed decently like Zestful and Coastal Kid. I just want to see it from a man's man. Um, and, you know, he does have a lot of good uh, two-turn form. We'll see uh, if he can show us a little bit more at going six and a half in the Governors. Yep. 
Indeed. Okay. Really fine card on Sunday. Corgi Day. Again, breakfast at the wire at 8 a.m. Sunday morning. Free breakfast at Emerald Downs. And the gates will be open for breakfast at the wire from before 8 a.m. until 9 a.m. And uh, then the gates will be open for simulcasting a little bit after that. But the, oh, the uh, paddock gate will be open for breakfast at the wire. All right. Uh, we got some trivia to, you know what? I didn't look to see who won last week. And I know I got a couple submissions. I'm kind of slacking off on that, but we'll catch up. Last week's question was, uh, Gary Bays has a record five wins in the Long Acres mile. What was his first mile mount? And that was Red Eye Express in 1973 for Howard Belvoir, who I believe was probably a multiple governor's winner, Red Eye. I know he won it once. He beat me one time. But uh, Red Eye finished ninth in 1973 with Gary Bays. He came back to finish second in 74 and fourth in 75 in the mile, both with Gary Bays aboard. So that was his first mount, uh, 73 Red Eye. And the new question, send your answers to trivia at emeralddowns.com. Why send your answers if Joe doesn't look at them and, and recognize you? But go ahead and do it. Trivia at emeralddowns.com. Awesome Jim is the richest horse to run in the state of Washington. He holds the top two spots as richest mile starter, both in 2011 and 2012. Uh, he was the richest mile starter uh, of all in the history of the race. 2.8 million he had when he ran in 2012. Who's next on the list as the richest horse to run in the Long Acres Mile behind Awesome Jim, who holds the top two spots. Okay, thanks to John White and Bill Traybold for joining us. A big weekend at Emerald Downs. Hope you enjoy racing here. And uh, thanks for listening to Horse Racing Northwest.